Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the 2000s Chart Show, the podcast celebrating every week the UK Top 40 Singles Chart from 20 years ago. I am Samuel Spencer, a journalist and a pop fan of such magnitude that I'm the only person in the world who thinks that Madonna's cover of American Pie is better than the original. This week's chart comes from the 13th of September 2003 and features new entries from Big Brothers, Black Eyed Peas, Dido, and a little obscure band called The Rolling Stones. Want a little taste of what the top 40 sounded like 20 years ago? Well, it sounded a little bit like this. which is that we have been betrayed by Top of the Pops. Previous episodes that we've been listening to and have given us lots of great material for this show began with a cold open in which the presenters introduced the show. You may have noticed we've used these, seamlessly added in the, the name the 2000s chart show into them and used them as our introductions, which was great because it means that we never had to think of an introduction. But now the geniuses behind Top of the Pops have made the decision that they're not doing intros anymore. The show just starts with the intro. And so we are a little bit fucked in one way, but in a second way, it means that I can now reveal the new 2000s chart show theme tune which has absolutely nothing to do with Top of the Pops. The 2000s chart show. The 2000s chart show. A beautiful piece of composition there, totally original to this show, so that's very exciting. Always good to give you something totally 100% original. Now that you've all we've all had our socks blown off by that incredible bit of theme song, let's set the scene for the beginning of September 2003. On the 4th of September, the rebuilt Boring Shopping Centre opened in Birmingham, home of my personal favourite Selfridges, to start the podcast on a bougie note. But of course, we all know that the reason that the ball ring opened in 2003 was so that 20 years later, Nadine Coyle could play a pride gig there. And that is gay rights 20 years in the making. There's not one thing that's messing about pride. People loving each other and just an excuse to have a good time. And to continue the gay rights, the UK top 40 is gay heritage. And so we must get into the top 40 from 20 years ago. Although typically we are starting with one of the least gay songs ever written. It was at 42 last week, but it's managed to find a way to claw itself back into the chart. I don't know what cider ad trying to feel rootsy and earthy was airing the stereophonics at this time, but it's been enough to get them back to number 40 here in their seventh week, maybe tomorrow. What a action-packed song. Future Sam update here. This is very exciting. So when I first recorded this, I didn't know why the Stereophonics had come back into the top 40. And I was almost destined not to know until I happened to scroll down to the bottom of the official charts page for this week's top 40 20 years ago. 
and there's a comment that says, Stereophonics back in the top 40, but on a technicality, as there was a single out that week that was heading big, but got pulled from the chart due to suspicious manipulation of the chart. I thought to myself, that sounds very familiar, that phrase. I searched on my Google Drive for suspicious manipulation of the charts, and I found that the song that was pulled from the top 40, leading to Stereophonics get another week in the top 40, was... Unconditional Love by Lemonescent. Now, you will have had to have been a long-term listener of this show to know who Lemonescent are. And so here is a clip from the episode in which we talk about them. And then there's the scandal of Lemonescent, which isn't just that their name is scandalously bad. No, there's a real scandal. So their follow-up to Cinderella was a song called Unconditional Love which was released in September 2003. It was on course to get them their biggest hit. In the midweek chart, it was at number 20, compared to this, which was at number 31. So big upward trajectory there. But then it was removed from the UK Top 40 because of suspicions of chart rigging by people who were buying the single in bulk. And this is this from the Wikipedia. It was confirmed by the official charts company that hundreds of copies of the single were being bought in bulk in and around Glasgow, which is where Lemonescent were based. Yeah, they were centre of a bulk buying CD single scandal. That is from our 21st of June episode, if you want to listen to the whole thing. Yeah, amazed. Thank goodness that I scrolled all the way down and I found out why Stereophonics got another week. So sorry, Lemonescent, your record label should have been better at bulk buying because let's be honest they weren't the only record label doing it anyway back to the chart what an action-packed song to get this podcast off with a bang luckily at 39 we have something a little livelier last week we mentioned that q magazine had done a countdown of the 1001 best songs ever and this next song got to number 922 on that chart and of course because i'm basically an addict i couldn't mention a magazine on this show without buying it so i now have the q magazine 1001 best songs ever issue had to order it three separate times on ebay twice a completely random magazine turned up in the mail but i persevered and now i can tell you exactly what q magazine said about this next song they say it yells oi in your ear like a dalston white van man then loses itself in a labyrinth of pile driver beats electro squiggles found noises and off-putting maniac cackles this is how london sounds of course now 20 years later london sounds like the silent homes of oligarchs and people ordering flat whites but at the time london sounded like at 39 fix up look sharp by dizzy rascal Fix Up Look Shot by Dizzy Rascal also mentions that Dizzy has refused to comment on speculation he was stabbed in Iron Napper because he pinched the bottom of So Solid Crude's Lisa Mafia. And you can listen back to the last two episodes to hear us talk about truly one of the great mysteries of our time. I'm sure there's an eight-part Netflix true crime series on its way about those particular set of circumstances. Dizzy, incidentally, was at number 26 last week. And at 38, we have a new entry, the first of our... 13 new entries this week here is spiritualized 
with She Kissed Me, brackets, It Felt Like a Hit. Any 60s girl group fans out there will know that the title of this song is a pun on the 60s song for the Crystals called He Hit Me, brackets, and He Felt Like a Kiss. He hit me, and it felt like a kiss. Everyone's favourite song about a woman forgiving a man's domestic violence because he loves her. We'll leave it to Courtney Love to sum up what we think about that. By Carol King, which you have to think. Courtney Love just can't resist just sticking the knife into someone, and in that particular case, Carol King getting it in the face by Courtney Love. So the original song was written by Carol King and Jerry Goffin under the guidance of Phil Spector. So if this song wasn't already haunting enough, it is a song forgiving domestic violence from a man who would eventually die in prison for murdering a woman. Another fact about this song is that Goffin and King wrote the song after discovering that the singer Little Eva Boyd was being regularly beaten by her boyfriend. And when they asked her about it, she replied apparently with complete sincerity that her boyfriend's actions were motivated motivated by his love for her. So Little Eva of course the singer of the locomotion so it kind of proves that even behind the happiest songs there is often dark truths which of course we all know after the fast food rockers went on that murdering spree but of course this song is not he hit me it felt like a kiss but she kissed me it felt like a hit by the band spiritualized the name of the band headed by jason pierce and a band that have a have a very particular place in my heart which is going to sound incredibly bougie not helped by the fact that I talked about my favourite selfridges earlier in the show but when I was about 21, 22 uh, fresh out of uni a bit lost trying to make it as a writer I think my mum could see that I was kind of a little bit burnt out and struggling and so she invited me on a holiday to a campsite in Rome and at some point in that holiday for some reason I was just walking around Rome on my own just wandering around feeling a bit sorry for myself listening to my mp3 player and suddenly the song broken heart by spiritualized came on and just like those stories that people tell about the perfect moment of a song matching when they come up on drugs i remember the orchestral swell of the song broken heart coming in just as i stumbled across the most amazing fountain that i'd ever seen and that combination of this musically emotive moment and this stunning piece of sculpture I think in some ways was a turning point in my life in which I was I was kind of awestruck and then kind of newly determined to make something of myself and I guess that all leads to here so thank you spiritualized even though I'm sorry to say I'm like she kissed me it felt like a hit much less than broken heart but that's maybe because I've never seen a beautiful fountain while listening to it maybe I'll go down Trafalgar Square later and uh, click this song on this is the last of their six top 40s so we are saying goodbye to Jason Pierce and Spiritualized I'm going to go look at a fountain while you listen to number 37 down from 32 in its 17th week in the top 75 and the 14th week in the top 40 Evanescence with Bring Me to Life
Magazine called this the best song for Ecstasy on the Church Organ. Great album title there. And called it the 702nd best song ever written. So well done to Amy Lee and the rest of Evanescence for not only making the 702nd best song ever written, but also, of course, getting a UK number one with Bring Me to Life. But ahead of them this week, a song that should have been a number one for 20 years, just straight in a row. Cheeky Girls, hooray, hooray, it's a cheeky holiday. Here's Britney, here's Cola, here's Pizza, here's TV, here's some rock, and some roller. Watch commercials, more commercials, watch Jerry, not Oprah. Buy a better life, from the comfort of your sofa. Here's popcorn, here's magazines, here's milkshake, here's blue jeans, here's padded bars, here's... Right, that song should not have been number one for 20 years. And I say, have you ever listened to another song that better sums up what it's like to have a cheeky cheeky holiday? And at 35, a new entry. It's another song that weirdly did mean a lot to me. I really enjoyed this. This is one of my favourite discoveries that I have had from this podcast so far, actually. I think it's a bit of a love-hate song, so I don't know whether you'll have the same reaction. So let's hear it. This is at a new entry for Adam Freeland with We Want Your Soul. We Want Your Soul, a song, of course, about how corporate culture is ruining everything. A big preoccupation in 2003. Little did they all know that 20 years later, we'd be dreaming of a world full of shops as we walk past boarded up old branches of Zavi and we go to our local Wilco only to find that we're going to have to find somewhere else to buy home brewing stuff. But they did not know that in 2003. And in fact, Target seemed to miss the point of that song. Target the giant supermarket chain in America because this song about corporate culture according to Adam Freeland Target tried to get him to license them the song for one of their adverts he said in an interview Target wanted to use We Want Your Soul for their new advertising campaign but they wanted me to change the lyrics which is pretty ironic to be sh- to be honest we could have really done with the money and we could have done with that kind of exposure in America because we hadn't put it out in America yet but I couldn't do it I couldn't have We Want Your Soul in an advert for one of America's biggest corporations I don't think there is anything wrong with consuming but I think it is important that there is an emphasis on ethics within that if you know your sneakers are causing suffering in a sweatshop environment then maybe you should not be considering buying them so there you go again wonder how adam freeland feels about the fact that selling out moved from being the worst thing you could do as an artist to a thing that artists are constantly desperate to do and that kids are pretending that they're making sponsored content on their social medias everything's awful it's a capitalist hellscape and maybe that is why we want your soul chimed so much with me but just because i enjoyed this song doesn't mean i couldn't laugh at it a little bit especially because there seems to be a little bit of a war developing on the We Want Your Soul Wikipedia page. There's been a few times on this podcast where we've seen artists who've written on their own Wikipedia pages. These songs were massive hits across Europe and we haven't seen any evidence. It seems that there was a Wikipedia editor who snapped 
with We Want Your Soul by Adam Freeland because after the sentence We Want Your Soul is a song by British DJ and producer Adam Freeland the song made the top 40 charts in several countries a Wikipedia editor has put in brackets dubious which is very funny can't wait to go on D-Side's Wikipedia page on where they say that they were massive in Japan right dubious I think I've got a new catchphrase there in my life and it's certainly one that we can use for our number 34 where Good Charlotte have had the absolute arrogance to call their one of their more mediocre songs the anthem the anthem good charlotte um dubious down from 21 in its third week on the chart so definitely not an anthem that has been taken on by the public very much unlike the work of our number 33 artist of course played the biggest concerts in british music history in 2003 even though he did not play at any of them this song down from 29 in its sixth week something beautiful by robbie williams That something beautiful, a song that we've I've heard a lot. I remember that the video, the kind of pop idol parody video being on the box a lot. So I've seen it probably about a hundred times. But at 32, we have a new entry that I have not listened to at all yet. So I'm gonna be hearing it fresh with you as we go, which is quite exciting. And I'll tell you why I didn't listen to it before. It's because I looked at the previous work that the people who made this song did and thought to myself, oh God, this is going to be a train wreck. I need to record my reactions to this live, I think. So this is a song called Yippee I.O. by the Barn Dance Boys. Now, a fun bit of trivia about me is that I think the worst song ever written is Cotton Eye Joe by the Rednecks. And this very much from that title sounds like it's gonna be from the Cotton Eye Joe school of Europop country. And the thing that confirmed that that was gonna be the case for me was that the Barn Dance Boys are a band featuring three members. There is a guy called Brian LH, no idea who he is. And then an artist called Ricardo Autoban, a pseudonym for John Matthews, and a man called Daz Sampson. Now I'm sure that the Venn diagram between the 2000s chart show listeners and Eurovision fans is just one big circle. So of course most of you out there will know that Daz Sampson is of course the 2006 Eurovision entry for the UK with his song the I guess so bad it's good Teenage Life. Now hear this. was also a number hit number eight hit in 2006 so that would already the fact that he wrote teenage life would already be enough to make me worried about the barn dance boys but this is not the only musical crime that dad samson has committed he also is responsible for the 1998 song kung fu fighting with his band bus stop that was a number eight hit and then in 2002 he got to number 12 with his cover 
of the Glen Campbell song Rhinestone Cowboy. So what that basically means is that anyone who went to holiday camps as a child, anyone who went to Butlins or Haven, or as we did the knockoff versions of Butlins and Haven, was basically raised by Daz Sampson, if you were going in the late 90s and early noughties. I certainly remember doing line dancing to Rhinestone Cowboy around this time. So if that wasn't all enough to cement Daz Sampson's reputation in the British music charts, he was also, and I didn't actually know this until now, responsible for the song Out of Touch, his biggest ever hit, a number seven hit for Uniting Nations in 2004. I mean, now I know it's Daz Sampson. It does make a lot of sense because he has made a career from doing Craven dance covers of pop song so it's no surprise that he is here covering the Hall and Oates song Out of Touch. So Daz Daz Sampson that's one third of the Bond Dance Boys but it's also Ricardo Autobahn is responsible for some pretty shall we say memorable novelty music because he was one part of the Cuban Boys, the band who in 2000 released a song Cognoscenti versus Intelligentsia, which you may not remember by name, but you will certainly remember by sound. Station announcer, station announcer. So Yippie I.O. is going to be a Eurodance country song from the guy who did Dabba Deba Deba Dodo and Teenage Life. So I can't wait to hear it. And so I'm going to press play now after... I could have had it pre-ready on YouTube here, I guess, but I didn't, so excuse the sound of typing. I'll just vamp and why I do it. What's it called? Yippee-I-A. Oh, Yippee-I-O, I'm sorry. Oh, also the Bond Dance Boys were known for wearing giant papier-mâché heads, which I'm just seeing here, are basically just seem to be round bins that they've covered in papier-mâché. Okay, so I'm clicking. If you're following along, this is the first result if you search Bond Dance Yippee-I-A, because I couldn't remember what the song was called, on YouTube. I think it's the official video from the user, I Forgot My Password. This was uploaded 17 years ago. Okay, so apparently the band's members are Big Jeff, Waylon, and Daisy. Oh, there was a bit of Daz you could hear there. Very distinguished voice. Oh, Daz Sampson is rap. In the video, he is a singing sheep. That's great. Okay, this isn't as bad as I thought it was, actually. <laughs> I'm a little bit into this. Better stop it before I get too into that. That was, uh... Yeah, that was the Barn Dance Boys. Still, the name Barn Dance Boys sounds like a gay porn set in a stables. But now we know what that sounds like. I hope that brought you as much joy as it brought me. I'm going to be making my own papier-mâché head and do-si-doing my way out of this studio later. Before we move on from this song, though, just to mention that also the most recent work for Ricardo Autobahn was a remix of the song Prince Andrew is a Sweaty Nonce by the band The Cunts. Just leave that hanging there for a little bit and then move on to number 31 down from 10 ouch in its second week a 21 place drop for speedway with genie in a bottle and save yourself this time to give you a sound of the other the double a side but no we want to hear the rock cover of christian Aguilera again don't we and now we are going to rub that genie in a bottle insert foley work what has come out 
What has come out of the bottle? Why, it is at number 30 in its 15th week on the chart. So definitely the daddy of the top 40 this week. Down from 22, XTM and DJ Chucky featuring Anya. I don't know how they all were in the bottle. They must have been quite cramped in there. Fly on the wings of love. Not just XTM, DJ Chucky and Anya in that bottle, but also their pan pipes. Don't know where they were stashing those. So there we go. That takes us to the 20s. And at 29, a new entry for Marilyn Manson with This Is The New Shit. I mean, it writes its own review there, doesn't it? Now, as part of our blanket controversial rule to not play the music of sexual predators, we will not play the original version of this song. But I do want to play a little bit of the remix for this song that was done by the band Goldfrap. Goldfrap, one of my favourite bands of all time and a fascinating, small but fascinating remix career in which it often seems like they treat the songs they're remixing in slight contempt. And you can hear that in their Marilyn Manson remix. Apparently he approached them and they they seem to have just been generally bemused by the whole thing. And then they were like, okay, let's do some weird shit with it. Which includes, in this case, Alison Goldfrapp singing her own vocals. But their most iconic moment as remixers, in my opinion, is their remix of Judas by Goldfrap, in which they've turned the song into a genuinely scary sounding satanic ritual. I always like to start my Halloween parties with this song. And then, you know, if a, a she goat gets sacrificed to Beelzebub, it happens, you know? Lady Gaga also apparently approached them, so I like the idea of all these artists listening to Goldfrap and then Goldfrap being like, fuck these guys, let's uh, let's mess around and do some weird shit. People after my own heart there. And another person who likes to do weird shit, here is at 28 down from 24 and it's seventh week on the chart, another former UK number one, Never Gonna Leave Your Side by Daniel Beddingfield. Sometimes I feel like I'm in Barcelona. See, any time I eat these children, I just start drifting away. And all I wanna do is go back. Sometimes I feel like I'm in Barcelona. Kind of weird shit Daniel Beddingfield does. Seven weeks ago on Instagram, he just posted a video captioned Albino Squirrel! Exclamation mark. Meanwhile, he hasn't posted a picture featuring his face for six months. So there has been more squirrel content on Daniel Beddingfield's Instagram in the last six months than there have been actual Daniel Beddingfield content. Long may it continue, you weirdly sexy maniac. And the top 40 continues 27, third week, down from 20. DK and Epsilon featuring Stamina MC with Barcelona.
And we're in a little dance music annex here because at 26 in its second week, down from 16 is Lee Cabrera featuring Alex Cortagna with Shake It, Move a Little Closer. Last week, we mentioned that Alex Cardania's current job is voicing a giraffe named Twigger in the Disney show The Lion Guard, a TV spin-off of The Lion King made for toddlers. In case you wondered about Twigger, she is shown to respect the king and behave affectionately towards calves. She is noted to be friendly by Beshta and is very polite. As a mother, she's alert towards danger and protective towards her daughter. Twigger also has a more negative side to her and can be conniving and scheming towards those she does not like. She's also not above making fun of someone's appearance. So don't mess with Twigger, the giraffe. So I won't mess with her any further and I will take us to 25. This is in its 10th week on the chart. Another former number one down from 19. A few weeks ago for this song, we featured a very long, very involved tribute to it from NME. And I don't know what it was about this song that had all the like rock and indie publications feeling the need to write long essays because in its write-up of this song which it's called the 58th best song of all time just pipping Iggy Pop's Lust for Life to the post which we talked about last week here is what they said about our entry at number 25 this week this is a song that manages to sound simultaneously slight if the chorus wasn't written by a four-year-old it was certainly written for one I'm not really sure what that means that's they're kind of negging her before they compliment her and important as when Jay-Z declares history in the making as if reading the original Riot Act. It is arguably the most joyously urgent record ever made. Not a second is wasted, not an ounce of flab is added. For just under four minutes, the planets align and create perfect pop. It is, in one delicious sitting, all that is right about hip-hop or R&B or whatever genre it is these, this week. Again, that's weird, isn't it? Jay-Z howls and hollers, Beyonce knows. yep, that's who it is, if you hadn't already guessed, adds the brisket of vocals, the briskest of vocals, she doesn't sound in love, she sounds in a hurry, and of course you can't hurry love. And behind them, Rich Harrison, architect of the Mary J. Blige sound, plays every instrument, the sequences, the samples, the congas, and whatever else comes to hand. Then there is that almighty, omniscient sample. How ironic that the best moment of Beyonce's career so far should be nothing to do with her. Namely, the thudding brass of the chi lights, are you one woman, tell me so. It's this dee, dee do daddy dear. I think that's like, which propels crazy in love into a new irresistible stratosphere. Moreover, Crazy in Love is relentless. There are no interludes, no points at which Beyonce and Jay-Z are singing together, and nothing that doesn't sound like a sprint for the finish line. Phew, the records sound like the time of your life. It's music to accompany anything that's pleasant, sunny and energetic, from sex to driving down a freeway, wind in hair, green card in pocket. It's multi-purpose too, sounding equally fabulous at the trendiest club and the tackiest wedding. Even if Beyonce records until she's 100 years of age, she'll never better this. In fact, it's hard to imagine anyone bettering Crazy in Love. And at 24, a song that literally no one is that excited to hear, no matter how many exclamation marks 
the singer puts in the title, down from 11 in its second week on the chart. Thank you, baby, for making Someday Come So Soon by Shania Twain. baby and thank you Shania you can now go back to your castle in Switzerland before we need you again but for now we need our next new entry this is at number 23 it is good time by the band a yes just a the letter a It may only be one letter, but no band name, I think, speaks more about 2003 than A. Because what other band name says more about the fact that 2003 is the era of the iPod? The reason that Q had released their thousand best songs ever around this time is because it is all basically one long promotional bit for Apple. There is a lot of iPod spawn in this magazine, which is therefore rude that I paid a tenner for it when Apple should have really paid me for reading this much information about a 40 gig iPod that would have set you back 250 quid and could contain just 10,000 songs. Meanwhile, the other day I bought I bought a one terabyte MP3 player on eBay for about 200 quid, which can store 250,000 songs. But anyway, what has this all got to do with A, you wonder? Well, of course, now for the first time, your music appears automatically in alphabetical order on the iPod menu, which means that A are always going to be at the top of any mp3 player list. Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky A there. And I can vouch for this back on my iTunes, back in the glory days of LimeWire and BearShare, which obviously I never used, but what I can say is all this time the song Starbucks by A was the top song on my library. So I know for a fact that those sneaky boys managed to pull it off. But of course, looking at it from 2023, the joke's on them because it's perfect for the iPod era, but it's uniquely terrible for the Google era because it's very difficult to get any results about A even when, as I was, you're actively trying. I will say, to their credit, if you search the phrase A band, they do come up as the first result, which is a shame. I was kind of hoping that if I just searched a band into Google, it would just show me a random band. You know, it's like, it just comes up with a little thing saying, you search for a band. Did you mean Girls Can't Catch? And I'm like, well, I'd usually do, yes, so sure. But in other ways, this band is totally impossible to Google. So I tried to find some information about this song. So I searched, first I searched Good Time, and that brought up the Robert Pattinson movie of the same title and then I was like oh silly me I've forgotten the band name so I put in A Good Time and it came up with the Robert Pattinson movie Good Time then I was like okay I'm gonna find this so I said okay here we go A Good Time song that should do it and that came up with the song Good Time by Owl City featuring Carly Rae Jepsen by the way can you think of any more Kirsten collaboration but not the point so then I was like okay I'm gonna get it now so I searched A Good Time song 
2003. And then it did come up, but of the 20 results that did come up, two of them were for Good Time by A, and the other 18 were for Feel Good Time by Pink and William Orbit, which we now know, of course, did come out in 2003 because we spent the last few episodes talking about it. And honestly, good on Google, because I would rather you took me to Feel Good Time, a very great song, rather than Good Time by A, which honestly, Feeder should sue A for this song, because it really feels like a Feeder knockoff. And that's incredibly tragic, because you can be anything you want to be in this world, so why choose to be a knockoff of Feeder? But that is what A chose. They are a band from Suffolk, England, by the way, and this is the third of their four UK Top 40s. Their peak was back in March 2002 when their song Nothing got to number nine. Yes, the band name is A and the song was called Nothing. What are you supposed to do with that if you ever want to search anything? The official charts, by the way, when I was finding out that information, feature some unintentional shade towards the band A. So on their, the list of their songs and where their chart placements are, it says that they had a number five hit in 1999 with the song Enjoy Yourself. But I know, as someone who listened to the album Now 42 for pretty much every single day between the ages of 6 and the ages of 10, I know that the song Enjoy Yourself is in fact by the band A+, which means that the song that is listed as the highest charting song on A's official charts page wasn't even by them. It's kind of like being cucked, that, isn't it? The last thing I'll say about A is that they had their previous album before this one was called Howasa Buildings, which is a really bad album title. Maybe not a surprise from a band who called themselves A, but I'm like, I don't know, how ace are buildings? A little ace sometimes? The Gherkin's quite good. Although I will, just add a side note, because I mentioned Now 42. Now 44 gets all the flowers, but Now 42 may actually be where it's at. Let me just take you through the beginning of side one. When the going gets tough by Boyzone, Better Best Forgotten by Steps, Believe by Cher, Steps, Tina Cousins, Cleopatra, Bewitched and Billy, thank Abba for the music, Spice Girls Goodbye, Honey's End of the Line, Billy, Honey to the Bee, The Cause, What Can I Do, Amelia, Big Big World, Tina Cousins, Killing Time 99, Venga Boys, We Like to Party, The Venga Bus, 12, Witch Doctor by Cartoons, which is a bad song, but at the time when you're six is like crack 13 ace of bass always have always will which was my favorite song at this time specifically because of its placement on now 42 and then at 14 you should be by blockster which i would say is the first mess song on that whole play on that whole album so truly incredible needs to be up there with now 42 in the all-time best nows list and this next song talking about the pantheon of songs was named the 904th best song by q magazine they said nick's a bon jovi-ish ballad then takes the hair the Americanisms and the metal down a notch. A devilishly clever plan from these pop lads. It grabs your subconscious in spite of yourself and will not let go. Not a bit embarrassing. That song is, of course, what else could it be? Sleeping with the Light On by Busted. That is in its fourth week on the chart and down from 14 last week. 
Hugh also gives us a fun fact about sleeping with the light on. They say, Jacko fan James broke his toe moonwalking in 2003. Charlie loves emo bands, naming Deftones as his faves. Didn't know that the name emo was in circulation in 2003. That's interesting. And Matt hates Jaffa Cakes. Truly no accounting for taste there. I can't deal with someone who doesn't like Jaffa Cakes, so we're going to have to leave them in the dust where they belong and go to number 21. Down from 17 in its fifth week, Frontin' by Pharrell Williams and Jay-Z. Recently chose the right time for Lucy Loving when you know it's the final time She now holds time Also in its fifth week is our number 20 hit Mark Owen with Four Minute Warning Our top 20. Still to come, songs from The Rolling Stones, Big Brothers, The White Stripes, Dido, Iron Maiden and Black Eyed Peas. We will soon see whether any of those are able to stop Elton John getting a second week at number one with Are You Ready For Love? But one song that definitely isn't challenging Elton anytime soon is our number 19 new entry. This is Promises Promises by the Cooper Temple Clause. That's an interesting name, you may be thinking to yourself. Certainly better than A. Where does it come from? In their early years, the Cooper Temper Clause would apparently make up stories about where the band got their name from. And we can hear an example of this in this interview here. There's a BMW garage in Reading called Cooper. And we, we used to hang out down there. We used to be, our gang used to be called the Cooper Temple. And uh, we agreed with each other that we were going to start a band, so we, we formed the clause, and hence the Cooper Temple Clause. But that isn't where the name comes from. The name comes from the Cooper Temper Clause, which was a parliamentary clause inserted into the Elementary Education Act of 1870, named after William Cooper Temple. And this clause proposed that religious teaching in new state schools be non-denominational, which in practice meant learning the Bible and a few hymns. Section 7 of the Act also gave parents the right to withdraw their children from any religious instruction provided in schools and to withdraw their children at that or other times to attend any other religious instruction of their choice. Rock and roll! Ah! Quite how they decided that was their name I'm not sure it's the kind of maybe it's the kind of thing they're in a history class together and someone mentioned it and they were like that's a great name for a band but then didn't actually listen to see what it was about none of this stopped them however from getting 
five top 40 hits, of which this was the highest charting and the third of those five. And this song was on the FIFA 2004 soundtrack, which kind of tells you everything you need to know about it, doesn't it? What that tells you is Avoid Like Plague. The irony, of course, is their first song was called Let's Kill Music. And that's exactly what I think when you say that a song is on the FIFA soundtrack. So let's kill this particular music and go on to something much more in my wheelhouse. My queen, Stacey Orico, in her fourth week, down from 15. Here she is with Stuck. fourth week and also in its fourth week down from 12 a song that's really grown on me actually over the last few weeks i kind of dismissed it i think the first time we talked about it but i found myself listening to it more and more and by the way you can listen to all of the songs that we talk about on this podcast on our dedicated spotify and youtube playlists although i haven't updated them in a while it's on my to-do list she's a busy queen but they will get done and you will certainly be able to hear on that spotify playlist at 17 down from 12 complete by jameson Yeah, there's something about that chorus that really uh, does something. I think it's also the fact that, as I said before, she sounds like all of the sugar babes combined. And who doesn't love the sugar babes? We certainly do, especially because I've just seen that an upcoming number one is Hole in the Head by Sugar Babes. So very excited that we're soon going to be able to talk about them again, especially because I will have, by that point, seen their live gig at the O2. Very excited for that, especially because when I bumped into Mutia backstage at event, she all but promised me she was doing Song for Mutia. So if she isn't, I'm going to tear down the O2. But from the Sugar Babes, we have to talk now about their great rivals, although exactly how much rivalry they felt is questionable. This is, in its third week, down from eight, at number 16, Life Got Cold by Girls Aloud. In looking through old issues of Smash Hits, I came across a little micro news story about Girls Aloud. It reads, Girls Aloud have changed their makeup artist after worrying they were made to look too orange. The girls are now reported to be using the same makeup artist as Atomic Kitten. Certainly, someone was making Nicola Roberts look very orange around this time. But I don't think that ever, I don't think they ever really sorted that because then didn't Nicola Roberts do a whole BBC3 documentary about tanning? If she did, I've, I'm just going to, there will be a clip of it inserted here. You've got a lovely face. You've got a perfect face and if you stop tanning now, You've, you've, you've got a very good chance of repairing quite a lot of this damage. Nicola Roberts, underrated documentarian. The Stacey Dooley of people who are in Girls Aloud. And someone who's not in Girls Aloud, and thank goodness, because then they would be off-key. At number 15, in its sixth week on the chart, down from nine, Lumidy with Never Leave You, uh-oh, uh-oh. The seal is fake. 
Comedy at number 15 and at number 14, a new entry from an absolutely legendary band. This is Fast Food Rockers with, no, just kidding, it is the Rolling Stones with Sympathy for the Devil. Originally released in 1968, Sympathy for the Devil sees Mick Jagger sing a first-person narrative of the devil. Basically, it's a list of historical atrocities which the devil takes credit for. And talking of historical atrocities, this 2003 re-release of the song features remixes from The Neptunes, aka Pharrell Williams and Chad Hugo, and Fatboy Slim. Yeah, I think I'm with the allmusic.com review of this single that says, when the original Sympathy for the Devil comes on at the end, it wipes the floor with all of the new versions. And in fact, listening to them just makes you ask one question, which is, why the hell did they get the Neptunes and Fatboy Slim to remix Sympathy for the Devil in the year of our Lord 2003? It was the technically the 35th anniversary of the song, but that feels like a weird anniversary to celebrate why not wait another five years and do the 40th so i looked into it and it turns out the reason that this song was re-released in 2003 is perhaps the most 2003 reason for anything to be reissued apparently the song was re-released as a means of promoting a dvd reissue of the 1970 film sympathy for the devil which shows the band recording the song what is more 2003 than paying a fortune to get the neptunes and fatboy slim to remix a classic song all in order to flog a dvd that's how big dvds were in 2003 which i think is the year i bought my first one which was chicago in case you were wondering a surprisingly gay choice that film incidentally features what some have seen as as interference from the devil because when they're recording it at some point a lamp starts a fire in the studio which destroys a lot of the Rolling Stones equipment. Was that satanic intervention? We just don't know but we do know that Keith Richards has said that he has met the devil. He said it's just a matter of looking the devil in the face. He's there all the time. I've had very close contact with Lucifer. I've met him several times. Meeting the devil of course being perhaps the only thing that Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones has in common with Abs from Five. There was a few incidents. Uh, I met the devil as well, which is pretty far out. You may still be wondering, out of all of the remixes they could have got to remix Sympathy for the Devil, why they chose the Neptunes, who feel like a very weird choice. You know, they're in the middle of producing Khaleesi's album at this moment, and I can't think of a song less like Sympathy for the Devil than Milkshake or Trick Me. But there is evidence that this is one of Pharrell's favourite songs. In a profile in July 2002, ironically, for the magazine Rolling Stone, Pharrell Williams called in to the Rolling Stone offices and during the conversation 
did impromptu beatbox versions of Sympathy for the Devil, apparently complete with all the percussion and the woo-woos. So either it was in his mind because he was currently remixing it, or it's just a song that's always fresh in his mind. It was certainly fresh in Q Magazine's mind when they called it the 158th best song ever written. They said that the song stews up a swamp of decadence to convince you someone here's got a hotline to hell. Evocative percussion, deviant woo-woos, spooky piano licks, and a persuasively nasty and naughty vocal. Satan said he was pleased with a job well done. So a genuine rock classic at number 13, given a new 2003 gloss. And that is exactly what has happened with our number 13 new entry. I bet the Rolling Stones were pissed that they didn't get Sympathy for the Devil to number 13. That would have been incredibly fitting. But they were pipped at the post by the White Stripes cover of a classic Dusty Springfield song. This is I Just Don't Know What To Do With Myself. I Just Don't Know What To Do With Myself, a amazing cover, and I think one of the best songs on their best album, and maybe one of the best albums of all time, Elephant. But all of that, no one cared about in the press. There was only one thing that people wanted to talk about with this song. For example, here's Edith Bowman and Reggie Yates talking about it on Top of the Pops. Now it's time for one of the most talked about videos of the year. Now this features Kate Moss doing a bit of pole dancing. I can't figure out why everybody's getting excited. Me neither. This is the White Stripes. I'm gonna go and watch this up close. Uh, yeah, that's right. I, Kate Moss, did pole dancing in the video. Get the London look. Yeah, I'll warn you now, there, there will be a lot of Kate Moss impressions in the next five minutes or so. Gird your loins for that. Yeah, lots of impressions of me, Kate Moss. So how did Kate Moss end up in a White Stripes video? Well, basically what we learn is that some people are just cool and they do cool things and nothing shows that more than how this video came to be. So Kate Moss was already a fan of the band. There were reports of her seeing a secret pub gig they did as far back as August 2001. She had been friends with the director Sofia Coppola since, or Coppola since they were teenagers. And so when Sofia Coppola are offered to direct a video for the White Stripes, she was simply able to call her friend up and get her to do it. She told the New York Times, I told the band, I don't know. How about Kate Moss doing a pole dance? I said that because I would like to see it. That's the way I work. I tried to imagine what I would like to see. And then Kate Moss did it after a little bit of training in pole dancing. She she told Show Studio, I had lessons at Astral, that strip club. I'm losing it there. Get the London look. I had lessons at Astral, the strip club. It was amazing exercise. We did it for toning us. It was more fun than going to the gym. It's so hardcore, pulling your body up onto a pole. Get the London look. So she agreed to do it, she did her training and music video history was made. So of course not the first music video that Kate Moss had done, she'd also appeared in promos for Marianne Faithful, Primal Scream and Elton John. And now the White Stripes, very much considered one of the coolest bands in the world in 2003 as numerous headlines from the time show. Even though this was exactly the point in which the White Stripes were still pretending to be siblings even though they had actually been married for four years. In every interview they said they were brother and sister but a publication revealed that they had been married from 1996 to 2000. This led to a very fraught interview between them and Spin Magazine in which the interviewer asked them six times whether they are really 
used to be married and they say no every time. He first asked them, do you regret some of the things you've told the press, especially since those seem to be the main things everyone wants to ask you about? So hinting at it. Then he asked them, why do you still tell people your siblings? And then they evade that. So he uh, he follows up with, at every single conceit you refer to Meg as your sister. However, your marriage certificate was published in Entertainment Weekly. Jack White replies to that saying, I don't see any signature on that certificate. It certainly didn't look real to me. If people don't want to believe that Meg is my sister, that's fine. So then the interviewer asked, but why would people try to portray you as previously married? Jack says, because America loves gossip. Everyone loves gossip. England loves gossip. Detroit is the gossip capital of the country. He's from Detroit. So then the interviewer, clearly pissed off, just asked them, but couldn't you just end the gossip by telling the truth? He evades. And so the interviewer's final question is, you are certain that the marriage certificate is fake and all your friends who say you're divorced? Did Jack replies, are all fucking with you? And then he smiles. So yeah, Jack White, a weirdo, hot weirdo but weirdo. But then weirdo is, as you've seen over the last few episodes, very much my type. As for Kate Moss, she's become less of a weirdo over time. She is of now, of course, the creative director for Diet Coke, a job that seems to mostly involve getting ugly watercolour pictures of her done every six months, which then get put onto Diet Coke cans. Also, very funny, her jobs as creative director of Diet Coke seems to be selecting prizes because on every Diet Coke can and I've drunk a lot of them it says win prizes personally selected by Kate I love the idea of her going into Argos and being like yeah uh, I really want gifts that reflect my personality so I need need 200 blenders and 40 pendants and a Stairmaster you know she's her friends are being like oh come to the club Kate come to the club she's like no I can't I got a busy weekend of picking prizes out for coke I think someone asked her, would you like to work with Coke? And she was like, wouldn't be the first time. And then they were like, no, Diet Coke. And it was already too late to turn it down. So there we go. You'll be pleased to know that's the end of the Kate Moss impressions. Well, nearly. Just one more. Get the London look. From Rimmel London. Get the London look. So there we go. The White Stripes new entry at 13, heading ever towards the top 10 but first here are the songs from 12 to 10 at 12 down from five in its second week miss perfect by abs featuring nodisha At 11, Dance With You by Lamar. Weirdly, despite the fact he only performed on the show three weeks ago, on top of the pops this week, 20 years ago, they decide to just air the Lamar Dance With You performance again. Not entirely sure why, although I suspect it was because the ratings of Fame Academy were hugely down at this point. So they, I think, needed, because it was obviously a BBC property, they wanted to show that the show could launch a star to try and G up some interest. And so they brought Lamar back out. Of course, it didn't work and Fame Academy would be tragically cancelled after this season. But I can see what they were trying to do. This, however, did not get Lamar back into the top 10. He was held off by at number 10 in its second week down from six, Kelly Clarkson with Miss Independent. 
Last week, by the way, marked the 21st anniversary of Kelly Clarkson winning American Idol. And so I realised I'd never heard her audition before. And so, in case you haven't too, here it is. You don't need diamond rings or 18 karat gold Fancy cars that go very fast You know they never last No, no What you need is a big strong hand To lift you to your higher ground Oh <laughs> Good job Cobain Randy I love that song. I worked on that song with Madonna. You did a very good job. Oh, come on. See, they love this, right? So that takes us into the top 10, half of which is new entries, so plenty to talk about. Let's have a look at some of those now. The big release of the week surely had to be White Flag by Dido. Her last album, No Angel, had sold 15 million copies worldwide by 2003 and still remains the second best-selling album of the 2000s in the UK, depressingly behind Back to Bedlam by James Blunt. It's also the 10th biggest selling album of the entire 21st century in the United Kingdom, behind Crazy Love by Michael Bublé, the absolute lack of taste. So a huge album, and this is her first song from Life for Rent, an album that would equally massive and would soon become the fourth best selling album in the entire world of 2003. So White Flag looking a big contender for number one, but it will have to face off with Where Is The Love by the Black Eyed Peas, the first Black Eyed Peas song to feature the Duchess herself, Fergie. We of course now love her for pissing herself on stage, bad cartwheels and whatever the hell she did to the national anthem. But now she was the singer of the Black Eyed Peas in this song that just incredibly struck a chord in 2003 for due to a certain war against terror that was happening. I'm not sure if I've mentioned it on the podcast, probably not. Anyway, people were looking for a little bit of love and tolerance and the Black Eyed Peas were giving it to them. So would that be enough to get them to the top of the charts. Well, they seem like the two biggest contenders, but we shouldn't discount some of the others because also still to come, we have songs from Big Brothers, whose last song, Favourite Things, was a number two hit. They are yet to have a number one single, so they will be hoping to do that with their first ballad, Baby Boy. And also, Iron Maiden are the biggest selling British metal band, so they will be hoping for a good placement with, for their song, Wildest Dreams. Previously, they have not had a number one single since 1991, when their song, Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter, one of the finest rhymes ever composed, got uh, got all the way to the top spot, so it will remain to be seen whether Wildest Dreams can match it. That leads us with one more new entry in the top 10, which is at number nine. Here is, with Silence is Easy, Star Sailor. Star Sailor were right. Silence is easy. So here is all the positive things I have to say about this song. Even I don't even 
agree with the title. Silence is easy. Did he ever try to do a comic relief sponsored silence in primary school? Because I did. And let me tell you, the agony of getting mash because you can't tell the dinner lady that you want potato smiley faces. Silence may be easy, but they certainly weren't silent on this week's Top of the Pops. Although the lead singer did do his utmost to silence the band who are all all perform entirely in the dark while the spotlight is entirely on him it's very shady to the other band members that kind of feels like the kind of thing that happens just before a band breaks up so i was very surprised to see that they continued releasing songs until 2009 so clearly they were able just to accept the singer's slight ego. Silence is Easy, however, will be the last top 10 single for Star Sailor, even though they have four more top 40s to come. Their last top 10, by the way, has one of the great gear change second lines. So I want to briefly introduce you to that. So here's the first line. Don't you know you've got your daddy's eyes? Oh yeah, okay, yeah. She's got her dad's eyes. That's nice. Daddy was an alcoholic. Oh, way to, uh, way to drop. Her daddy found dead in a ditch, called out for his drinking. Savage. So we're having, we can have fun with Star Sailor, but there is genuine darkness to this song because, so as we mentioned earlier, in February 2003, the producer Phil Spector murdered a woman because Silence is Easy was produced by legendary producer Phil Spector around the same time in which he murdered a woman on in February 2003 the actress Lana Clarkson was found dead inside Phil Spector's castle in California according to the prosecution he had previously pulled a gun on four women in each case he had been drinking and was romantically interested in the women but grew angry after they spurned him on each occasion he pointed the gun at the women to prevent her from walking out however this incident would not lead to his arrest until a few years later so there's i'm not implying at all that star sailor knew any of this but it does mean that Silence is Easy by Star Sailor is the last major album that Phil Spector would work on. The rest, as they say, is silence. And as Star Sailor have so eruditely told us, silence is easy. But why have silence when you can have at number eight, down from three in its second week, Like Glue by Sean Paul? It's by Sean Paul, but some people were not able to make that out on amiright.com, the best source for misheard lyrics. People have said that they have misheard Sean Paul saying Sean Paul as Sean Nipple and Thunder Brawl. So congratulations to Sean Nipple for a number eight hit this week. And congratulations at number seven to Ultra Beat down from four in its fifth week with Pretty Green Eyes.
Ultra B at number seven there, and at number six, another new entry. This is with Wildest Dreams, Iron Maiden. Now look, I like some heavy metal, okay? I have seen Motorhead in concert four different times. Yes, really, that is true. I like, there's some Black Sabbath I like a lot. That's admittedly the end of the list. But what I'm saying is that ultimately, just all of the heavy metal that I like is music that I remember listening to when I was young through my dad who's a big metalhead and he's also he's always been a little bit cold on Iron Maiden and so they really mean absolutely nothing for me and this song really leaves me cold so I can't help but feel sorry for the Top of the Pops audience who this week 20 years ago had to sit through Iron Maiden performing because I know what those Top of the Pops audiences were like I was in one of those Top of the Pops audiences and you, you go there expecting you know, to see the latest pop acts, you're hoping to see Girls Aloud or Busted. And this week on Top of the Pops, 20 years ago, those pop fans going to the Top of the Pops had to sit through Iron Maiden, Star Sailor and Sting. Sting wasn't even, he hasn't even got a song out. He just did a random performance. So it's like they couldn't find enough artists that you, their audience had no interest in. They had to bring in another one. So this poor, poor audience who had to sit through that song. But I try, I had to find something to talk about with Iron Maiden, even though they do leave me numb. And so I did find for you 10 fun facts about Iron Maiden. And yes, I just searched 10 fun facts about Iron Maiden. But you know you want to know what they are now. Number one, this is from AmplifiedClothing.com, which if you wore as many rock band t-shirts as I did when I was about 13 and 14, you know Amplified Clothing very well. Number one of their 10 things you didn't know about Iron Maiden. Number one, Bruce Dickinson, who's the singer, is a qualified pilot and flies the tour plane which is called Ed Force One, which is named after their mascot, Eddie. And there's a lovely picture of the Iron Maiden plane going over a series of mountains. Iron Maiden formed on Christmas Day 1975. Steve Harris is the only original member. This is obviously the days before the Strictly and Doctor Who Christmas specials in which you had to find entertainment. And the only way you could do that was by creating a soon-to-be world-famous heavy metal band. Steve Harris, by the way, is the bassist and primary songwriter of Iron Maiden. I had to look that up. I didn't know that. Number three, band founder, bassist and principal songwriter. I guess I didn't need to look it up after all. Steve Harris never warms up before a gig. Okay. I don't know if I'm supposed to be impressed by that. That sounds lazy to me. Number four, Bruce Dickinson was expelled from boarding school for urinating in the headmaster's dinner. I just imagine that's what people do in boarding schools. Number five, Nico McBrain. That's Nico McBrain. I think he's their drummer, but is that his birth name? No, his birth name is Michael Henry McBrain. But anyway, he apparently had a drum off with Sooty in a Sooty and Sweep episode. Nico, I don't know if you know, but uh, Sooty and Sweep, they've been playing the drums a bit. And they wonder if we could, like, play along with you. Would Lovely. that be okay? Yeah, sure. Do the process with your kit and give yourself four in on the bass drum. Go on. Okay. 
Number six, as well as video games, Iron Maiden also have their own branded beer. That beer is called Trooper, which has malt flavours and citric notes, a deep gold nail with a subtle hint of lemon. Number seven, Iron Maiden once crashed a wedding in Poland after a few drinks. They got up on stage and performed an impromptu gig. I wonder if they're glad they crashed the wedding. I guess it's better than forgetting. I actually know a little bit about this wedding. Uh, the dress she got was lame. She couldn't take the pain. She didn't want a silly second name. Uh, Steve Harris is a diehard West Ham United fan. That's number eight. And then number nine, Steve Harris was offered a trial at West Ham as a teenager. I would say that's one interesting fact about Steve Harris amplified clothing, if I was going to offer notes as an editor. And number 10, Bruce in his spare time is a keen fencer. Dickinson has fenced since he was a boy and was at one point ranked number seven in Great Britain. So there we go. Hopefully I have imparted something mildly interesting about Iron Maiden, which is really all we can do because sadly they were not interesting enough to be in this week's top five. But here's who was. This is another former number one in its sixth week on the chart, down from number two last week when it was knocked off the top spot by Elton John. This is Blue Cantrell featuring Sean Nipple with Breeze. You keep on with me, I keep on with you. You keep on loving me, I keep on loving you. Keep doing what you do, I feel your whole aura. And I can't wait to hook up again tomorrow, baby. My love for you. Sean Paul and Blue Cantrell being at number five leaves us with four songs, three of which are new entries. Big Brothers, Black Eyed Peas, Dido and Elton John still to come. But which one of those is at number four? Well, Baby Boy by Big Brothers there. The fourth single for Big Brothers. They started with a number three hit with New Flow, then number seven with OK, and earlier this year, as we discuss on the podcast, a number two hit with Favourite Things. So they haven't had a number one just yet, and with Baby Boy, they're not going to get a number one this time, but their first song, New Flow, did get the ultimate accolade. Introducing the new Halifax Current Account. Halifax gives you more interest than these banks for sure. A rate you will adore, so what you waiting for? We'll give you extra, 50 times extra. Give your bank the boot, make the switch, make more loot. Yes, it got its own Howard from Halifax ad. A truly the best thing you could be given in the early 2000s in Britain. If you don't know who Howard from Halifax is, you're going to have to Google it because some millennial things just need to be kept in the past. I can't introduce a whole new generation to Howard from Halifax, especially because I was going to talk about how we should campaign to get him start doing public appearances in the same way that Barry from EastEnders does Barioke, in which you can sign up to sing with Barry from EastEnders live on stage. I would have thought Howard from Halifax would have been an incredible Mighty Hoopla act. But then I read that in 2002, Halifax announced on Twitter that they would begin adding pronouns to name tags, to which Howard from Halifax replied on Twitter, I think it's disgraceful. It's a service industry. You should leave politics to the politicians. They've got this one wrong. So I can't possibly support Howard from Halifax. But I do support 
Big Brothers, I bought Favourite Things on Single and Baby Boy. Why I didn't buy, I definitely went on LimeWire to track down back in the day. The fun thing about Big Brothers is that they all live together in a big house, which is always fun when pop stars do that. I like the idea of them, I don't know, all watching Bridget Jones's diary together after a long day of answering smash hits questions. They had originally all started as solo acts who were brought together by a scheme to promote fresh unsigned urban talent. They were originally supposed to do a compilation that would be all of their different tracks together, but then the producers decided to start getting them to collaborate on tracks together and that eventually led for the six artists who were Cherise, Nadia, J-Rock, Randy, Dion and Flawless to form Big Brothers. At the point of Baby Boy coming out, there were six of them. But by the end of the year afterwards, they would be down one member after Flawless was fired after he was stopped at a Los Angeles airport for possession of marijuana. And now the band tour as four people. Dion has also since left the band for unspecified reasons. So they tour as a four piece and they t- at one point supported S Club 3. And I can't, honestly, I can't think of anything more tragic. They're going to see a concert of bands none of which have their full lineup. I think you can have one band that's... You can have S Club 3, or you can have four of the six Big Brothers members. Both together just feels bleak, doesn't it? But that's the kind of things that you sometimes have to do when you're a 2000s act who had a few hits, but not enough to have a true legacy. And I think maybe they could have been bigger had their song Baby Boy not come out a month before Beyonce's song Baby Boy featuring Sean Paul which instantly made everyone forget about what is honestly quite a treacly ballad from Big Brothers although I am very excited because I have seen it teased that they were once in the chart at the same time which will be the first time that I've ever seen two different songs with the same name in the UK top 40 and if you're a chart nerd like I am things like that are very exciting. And so even I had kind of forgot about this song. For years, I'd assumed it was from the soundtrack of the film Baby Boy, which I had thought had come out this year. The film that includes this. You been doing? You been fucking around? Nope. Let me smell your dick. Girl, you better go on this bullshit. Nah, if you ain't been horn around, you been all busy, busy, busy. Let me smell your dick, I can tell. Iconic. But looking up for this podcast, I realised that that film came out in 2001. So it's just a coincidence that they're both called Baby Boy. And maybe I'd got confused because, of course, Big Brothers do appear and write uh, and perform songs for the soundtrack to Scooby-Doo 2, colon, Monsters Unleashed. And we all remember when Daphne asked to smell Fred's dick. Last thing to say about Baby Boy is that it has a pretty good video, which is a parody of Friends, which is just about to go into its final season in September 2003. Of course, the Big Brothers video has one crucial difference from the TV show Friends because it features black people. There we go, Friends found dead in a ditch there. And Big Brothers found at number four, which leaves us with just three songs left, Black Eyed Peas, Dido and Elton John. Will Elton John be able to hold on for a second week at number one? The answer is no, because he is at number three in his second week on the chart, meaning we have two new entries battling out for number one and two, Dido and Black Eyed Peas. That has got to be a big selling week on the charts. But before we find out which of them is at number one, here is Elton John with Are You Ready For Love? Am I ready for love? Eh. Since last week, I have learnt that the 
Sport that was featured in the Sky Sports ad featuring Are You Ready for Love by Elton John was football. It was there to advertise the new season of football in 2003, apparently. The, some other facts about this song. The person who remixed it was a man called Ashley Beadle from the group Express 2, who had a number two hit with Lazy, their collaboration with David Byrne in April 2002. Originally, this remix was released in July 2003 in a limited edition pink vinyl. That was enough to get it to number 66. But after it appeared on the Sky Sports ads, it was reissued on CD and got to number one. However, the remix that was used in the Sky Sports ad actually didn't appear on the CD at all. So there we go. There's some, there's everything you need to know about Are You Ready For Love by Elton John, leaving us with just two songs left, White Flag by Dido and Where Is The Love by The Black Eyed Peas. I'll allow Top Of The Pops' own Wes to count us down through the top 20 before we reveal who is at number one. Hi, this is Wes and here is this week's official The 2000s chart show. Top 20, 20's Marco in 4 minute warning, 19's new The Cooper Temple Claws, promises promises, 18's Stacey Orico stuck, completes at 17 from Jameson, Girls Aloud's Life Got Cold at 16, 15's Lumidy Never Leave You, uh oh, The Rolling Stones new at 14 and Sympathy for the Devil, 13's new as well, The White Stripes, I Just Don't Know What To Do With Myself, 12's Abs featuring Nodisha, Miss Perfect, Lamar's at 11, Dance With You, at 10, Miss Independent from Kenny Clarkson, Silence Is Easy, Star Sailor's new at 9, 8, Sean Paul Light Glue. Seven Pretty Green Eyes from Ultra B. Iron Maiden is new at six. Wildest Dreams. Five's Breathe from Blue Cantrell featuring Sean Paul. Big Brothers are new at four with Baby Boy. Three's Elton John. Are you ready for love? And new at two is Dido and White Flag. Congratulations to the Black Eyed Peas, whose Where Is The Love is the 960th UK number one, selling a pretty impressive 94,308 singles in its first week. That's the fifth biggest opening week of any song on the UK Top 40 in 2003. Make Love by Room 5 sold 111,000 copies at the start of April. David Snedden sold 108,000 copies of Stop Living the Lie at the end of January. Room 5 sold 111,000 copies of Make Love at the start of April. Girls Aloud sold 128,000 copies of Sound of the Underground in the first week of January. And in the biggest week of 2003 sales, Spirit in the Sky by Gareth Gates and the Kumars sold 273,000 copies at the end of March. Of course, due to it, mostly perhaps due to it being the comic relief single. But we'll talk a little bit more about Where is the Love in a minute. But first, we need to talk about White Flag by Dido, an absolute middle-of-the-road Anthem. To where we were. But I will go down with this shit. And I won't put my hands up and surrender. There will be no white flag above my door. I'm in love. No flag by Dido. Of course, the most important thing about this song for me is its video, which includes David Boreanaz, star of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, and many of my private sexual dreams from a young age to this day. There's a video out there of David. I will say no more. Look for it yourself. But whew. anyway, 
Dido said of why she booked David Boreanaz for her video. I wanted someone who was pretty universally recognisable. We asked David to do it and he said yes. I wanted someone who was a bit dark and that you could believe might have this crazy obsession with a lover. He can have a crazy obsession with me anytime he likes. So she knew she wanted David Boyanis, but it seems, according to the behind-the-scenes footage from the White Flag video, that he had no idea who Dido was. I didn't know who Dido was, and I was looking forward to meeting her, and nobody was introducing me to her. And I looked at this woman on the bed, and I said, you, are you, you must be Dido. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I look like the biggest ass. Here's some of what Dido said in that making of. He just seems like a really nice guy, do you know what I mean? He just seems like really cool, really down-to-earth, really nice, and... I've got a lot of respect for him and I just think, you know, brilliant. I'm just really glad he's in the video. I think it's brilliant. Am I the only one who didn't know that this is how Dido talks? Yeah, all right, I'm Dido. <laughs> Yeah, my Kate Moss and my Dido are the same. This is not an impressions podcast. Yeah, who knew? I didn't know she was so estuary. I'd always assumed that Dido was just posh. I think it's when I learned that her full name was Florian Cloud de Boonviello Mally Armstrong. I just don't know why I assumed that person would, would be posh. So foolish of me to make that assumption. Quite why she went from being called Florian to being called Dido. I'm not sure. Despite the fact that her name on her birth certificate is Florian, apparently her parents called her Dido since a very young age. She said in a 2001 interview to be called one thing, or of course she would say it like, White me old China to be called one thing unchristened another is actually very confusing and annoying. It's one of the most irritating things that my parents did to me. Florian is a German man's name, that's just mean. To give your child a whole lot of odd names, they were all so embarrassing. Booyakasha. Yeah, incredible impressions of Dido there. So that's why she's called Dido. And and this song came about due to a breakup that she had with her former fiancé, who was entertainment lawyer Bob Page. He had previously been the subject of the songs Thank You and Here With Me, her two biggest hits. Apparently she wrote those after their first date, so pretty keen from the beginning. But they had to call off their wedding in summer 2002, and now a year later we get White Flag, which is all about moving on from a breakup. At the time, sources said that the the breakup wasn't due to any one person, it was due to Dido's phenomenal rise to stardom and punishing travel schedule. It's all very sad, a friend told the Daily Mail. We were all wondering when the wedding would be, only be told the relationship is over. There isn't anyone else involved or anything like that. The pressures of being Dido and travelling the world put an unnatural strain on their love. She's been away in the States, but has been spending time with her brother when she's here. He's been a great shoulder to cry on. Her brother is called Rollo, by the way, and is a member of the dance band Faithless. Now, this is true. She was hoping to stay at her brother's house after the breakup, but unfortunately, at Rollo's house... Bit of Faithless humour for you there. So that is White Flag at number two this week. Just before we move on from Dido, just have to share my favourite moment from a GMTV interview she did in which Eamon Holmes and one of the interchangeable blonde women who presented GMTV in the 90s ask her whether she has a surname and she says, of course I have a surname, I'm not a weirdo. Good morning to you. Do you have a surname? Of course I have a surname. Do you? (laughs) (laughs) Or of course she said it. Oh, 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 like me old China. Oh, I ain't no weirdo. Knees up, mother bran. And at number two here, White Flag is Dido's biggest hit on the official charts. Previously, she had got to number three with Thank You, but she the number one spot remained elusive because it has been taken this week by Black Eyed Peas with Where Is The Love. I have to say, I'm slightly angry that this is number one because in interviews... 
Will I Am said that they were thinking of breaking up the Black Eyed Peas, but it was the success of Where Is the Love that made them change their minds. So just think, if this hasn't got to number one, we may never have had to listen to Time of My Life, brackets, dirty bit. And that is honestly a better world. Imagine a world with no I Got a Feeling. What bliss. The reason that they were thinking of breaking up is because their first two albums, Behind the Front and Bridging the Gap, had gone to 129 and 67, respectively, in the US. And their highest charting singles had got to number 62 in the US and number 31 in the UK. So hardly setting the charts alight. And they may never have released a song, Where Is The Love, were it not for, what else, 9-11. Will I Am said in an interview, on our last day of recording sessions, I was packing my equipment and I saw the first plane fly through the World Trade Centre. I thought it was a film. The fear of driving back home, going over the San Francisco Bridge, that 10 minute drive across the bridge felt like an hour. So then he put together this song, which was about the kind of climate of fear that he felt America was in after the attacks and how he thought that the they needed to get back the love which is why he asked where is the love see how that works with where is the love of course the Black Eyed Peas brought in a new secret weapon that they previously had not had and that was Fergie Ferg herself Fergie this is the first song that they released with Fergie originally she was just hired as a guest vocalist for their song Shut Up but they loved her so much that they kept her on and she became a regular feature of the Black Eyed Peas which of course means that we got to see her do the national anthem and wet herself and all of the great Fergie things we love and we also got to see her of course mistake London Bridge with Tower Bridge in a song called London Bridge, which I will always hold very dear. But Fergie, Fergie's voice is not the only one you will hear in Where Is The Love, because the backing vocals were done by none other than Justin Timberlake. Apparently wrote the chorus, which is why it's the best part of the song. And unlike their other choruses, which of course go, my humps, my humps, my hump, my hump, my humps. Boom, 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 gotta get that. 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 Boom, 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 etc. Justin Timberlake bringing in some good songwriting noose that the Black Eyed Peas were lacking. You know, it, might, it doesn't surprise you that the band who came up with lyrics like My Humps, My Humps, My Lovely Lady Lumps may not have been able to come up, up with a chorus like the one for Where Is The Love. And that of course means that this is the first number one single that Justin Timberlake was involved with because NSYNC never had a UK number one and Justin Timberlake won't have a UK number one until Sexy Back in 2006. And so it's easy to make fun of the Black Eyed Peas and don't worry, I will numerous times across the upcoming episodes because they are truly a terrible band. But this song certainly struck a chord. I think amid the war on terror, people were looking for a little bit of positivity and trying to find some love again. And obviously the Black Eyed Peas tapped into that. So they may not have been the highest selling number one this week, but they have some big stats ahead of them. They, for example, are going to become the longest serving number one for five years. The first band to get over four weeks at number one since Share With Believe back in 1998. And they will also become the biggest selling song of 2003 but exactly how long they can stay at number one you're gonna have to keep listening to the podcast in the coming weeks to find out for now we will play this song in a second but first thank you again for listening please keep rating the show on every podcasting platform with and this week why not comment with your favorite underrated song from the 2000s when you rate us what's the point in going for all these top 40s and uncovering all these flop songs if we can't 
highlight the best of them. Recommend the show to whoever you think has a tolerance for pop nonsense like we do. And have a great week. I'll see you next week. We'll see if the Black Eyed Peas can keep on to this number one spot. But for now, here they are with Where Is The Love. Meditate, let your soul gravitate to the love, y'all, y'all. People killing, people dying, children hurt and you hear them crying. Can you practice what you preach and what you turn the other cheek? Father, 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 help us and some guidance from above. These people got me, got me questioning. Dubious.